Saul, David, and Solomon, the three kings of Israel of the United Kingdom, God had chosen to allow the children of Israel to have their own king. He had warned them through Samuel that there would be a number of things that would be not pleasurable to them as people. And when we study the lives of Saul, David, and Solomon, we see the failure in the lives of men. When we studied about Saul, we saw a man with such talent and such ability, but a man who chose to follow a plan away from God, and God rejected him as being king. God raised up David, a man after his own heart, And David was a good man, wanting to do God's will. However, David lived in a world of sin and allowed himself to indulge in it and had to suffer some sad consequences in his own life. This morning, we're going to study the life of Solomon. And as we begin our study, I'd like for just a few moments to point out to you that sadly, knowing what is right, knowing what is best, does not always mean that a person will act by it. You and I both know that sometimes we know better, but we don't do better. And Solomon is an illustration of a person who had in his life great triumph. He built the temple. And he had great tragedy in his life. He saw the kingdom taken away from his son. In fact, if you look at the early part of his life, it was marked with such potential. It was such purpose of life that he was going to serve God. And yet, as you get to the end of his life, you see it was marked with pitfalls and problems that developed. Well, this morning, I would like for us to look at two things. I'd like for us to look at the purpose and the potential that Solomon had Here was a man who was given everything needed to be able to serve God and serve Him in a very powerful way. And yet, when we get to the latter part of his life, we start looking at those problems which were there. And when we study about the lives of men like Saul and David and Solomon, I don't want you to think, well, those were kings and they lived a different life than I live. And because they did, I don't have those same challenges I'd suggest to you that as we study together from the scriptures, we'll see ourselves in each of these men's lives, at least to some degree. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of their potential and the purpose that Solomon lived his life. If I were to ask you what person in the Bible had the greatest potential to be a great leader to be able to accomplish great things for God, would you think anyone would have more potential than Solomon? I'd like to take you through the scriptures here for just a few minutes. I'd like for us to look at his life, and if you want to, let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings. We're going to begin with chapter 1. And I will point out to you that as David has grown to be an old man, he is very, very elderly and um, suffering the abilities of old age or the problems of old age. And he had a younger son by the name of Adonijah. 
And he wanted to be king. And he was a pretty face. The scriptures are going to tell us that. However, Solomon was a man of a different character. Notice with me, 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him for himself chariots and horsemen, 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He also was very good-looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. If you'll remember, Absalom also wanted to be king. Absalom was also a very good-looking, handsome young man. Here Adonijah, his younger brother, is also another good-looking young man. But he doesn't have the character that his father had. In fact, if you go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 1, which is the parallel... The chronicler says, Now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. God was with him. Solomon had God's backing, God's reassurance. You see, when you look at the contrast, Solomon is a man not like his brother's. He's a man ready to serve God and serve Him willingly. But I want you to open your Bibles with me to chapter 3 as we get to verses 5 through 13 because perhaps this is the part of Scripture which will be the most enlightening with regards to Solomon's potential. Solomon now has risen to the throne and been crowned the king. And when we pick up in chapter 3, verse 5, And the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child, and I do not know how to go out or to come in. Before we continue on in the reading, let me make some observations with you. I want you to notice the attitude with which Solomon approaches God. He doesn't approach God with, now I am king and I shall take over. He approaches God with a humility of heart using what you might call hyperbole, an emphasis here that there's an exaggeration. I am but a little child. Solomon's a grown man. But he's picturing himself as like a little child who doesn't even know how to go in or come out. And he needs God's blessing of wisdom. So as we pick up in verse 8, Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord. 
that Solomon had asked this thing. Again, for a moment, pause with me. And notice how Solomon refers to the people. He doesn't say, my people. He says, your people. He recognizes that the children of Israel are God's people and he is only there temporarily to serve as a leader. I think it's also important to observe that for which he asks. Give me a heart that I may discern between good and evil. That I can know the difference between right and wrong. That I can make judgments based upon truth and righteousness and good. And I can praise the good things and and condemn the evil. Because he wants to judge God's people as they ought to be judged. And observe with me in verse 10. The speech pleased the Lord. God was happy for what Solomon had asked. Picking up in verse 11, Then God said to him, Because you have asked for this thing, and have not asked for long life for yourself, or for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be rise anyone after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among, all, or among the kings all your days. You see, God was so happy with what Solomon had asked for. Now you imagine, I know many of you have thought, at least at times, what if someone were to grant me some wishes as to what I would be given? What if the Lord were to come to you today and say, what would you like for me to give you? So many people would do what God said Solomon didn't do. He didn't ask for wealth. Nor did he ask for long life, health. You know, some of you may be suffering some physical maladies in this life. And if the Lord could come to you and say, now what would you like? Some of you might say, I don't really want money, but I sure would like to be able to have a healthy body so I could live a long life. Some of us may have people who are afflicting us in our lives and making life difficult for us. And we would say, Lord, if you could just remove this person or this group of people that are giving me such a hard time, my life would be so much more pleasurable. Solomon did not ask for any of those. He asked for wisdom to be able to discern and judge God's people. God said to you, Solomon, because you've asked this, I'm going to give you things you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you great riches. I'm going to give you honor, fame, if you will. Now let me point out to you that when you start looking at Solomon, it wasn't just the wisdom that God gave him to decide. If you go with me to chapter 4, beginning with verse 29, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart, like the sand of the seed shore. 
pause for just a moment there. We understand the wisdom, but largeness of heart. Solomon was a person that truly cared about people. He had a large heart in the sense that he was opening and willing and accepting of people. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, Ethan, the Ezrahite, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Maal. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. And he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. But now listen carefully. He also spoke of trees, from the cedar of the tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. Also he spoke of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And the men of the nations from whom the kings of the earth, who had heard of all his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. If you look with me at verse 33, he was a botanist and a zoologist. He understood animals. He understood the way animals were bred. He understood the way animals grow. He understood the plants, the trees. You want a man with potential. Here's a man with broad knowledge, a good heart, and great wisdom. That's Solomon. But now let me point out to you that he also was guided with great focus and purpose. There was no chaos in his kingdom. It wasn't as if some everybody was wondering, well, now how do we do this or who does this? Whose job is this? When you get to chapter 4, he was organized politically. He was organized socially. He was organized militarily. I don't have time to explore chapter 4 with you. If I did, this would be another two or three part lesson. But you can read chapter 4 and you can see how he put men over this, men over that. Even when it came to the amount of food that was provided, it would be provided in an orderly fashion by a specific group of people. When you get to chapters 5 through 7, he goes on a building program that was pursued with purpose of heart. He's going to build the Lord a house, the temple. He's going to build himself a palace and he's going to even build a beautiful palace uh, entryway from his palace all the way up to the Lord's house. He's going to build the treasury or armories of the forest. He's going to build chariot cities. You see, Solomon is a man who's on a mission. He's got such potential, such wisdom, such knowledge, such ability. The best way I can summarize this is chapter 10. We've been sort of following 1 Kings' order. So if you'll go with me to chapter 10, we're just going to look at verses 4 through 8 and then verses 26 and 27. This records the visit of the queen of Sheba. And uh, she had heard of the greatness of Solomon and of his wisdom. And listen carefully as she describes it. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, 
it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and wisdom. Now for just a moment, I want you to just visualize what she's saying. She saw the food on his table. You know, you may go to some places and visit and you look and say, boy, they don't have very much food. Or what food they have doesn't look to be of the best quality. I know as we travel from one place to another, when you come back to the United States, you're just amazed at how much food we have and how good of food we have. It says, the seating of his servants. Most servants didn't sit. They stood. The service of his waiters. And notice, even their apparel, what the servers were wearing. Very nice clothing. Cupbearers. And then again, that entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. When it says there was no more spirit in her, she just couldn't believe it. There was no more, you know, there's no arrogance on the part of this queen's sight because she knows that Solomon is above and beyond anything she had been told. Keep on, verses 7 and 8. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom, your prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Now, don't you listen carefully to verse 8. Happy are your men, and happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. You see, what is a mark of a great leader is one who has happy, contented servants and people. You see, in our nation today, we're a divided nation. Half of the people love the people who are in power. Half of the people can't stand them. We are a divided nation. But when you look at Solomon, everybody was like, He's doing a great job. They're really happy. Then you drop down to verses 27 and 28. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. Can you imagine silver being so common that it's just as common as stones? Solomon was prosperous, and so were the people. Now, I'm trying to talk to you about his purpose and his potential. How could you get better than that? That's the early life of Solomon, and that's just a brief survey of it. We could talk about the temple and about his prayer and dedication of the temple. So many aspects were very valuable. But now I need to move to his problems and pitfalls. Solomon had it all. But having it all potentially can be a pitfall. You know why? Because a person who has it all often gets bored with what he has. You know that. There was something perhaps this last year that you were wanting to get. You had maybe saved for it for a long time or maybe after a while you were able to save up enough that you were afforded to even pay on it. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a car. 
Maybe it's something else, but something that you really wanted badly. Now you've got it. You know what? Now what am I going to get next? You know, Solomon puts it like this in chapter 5 and verse 10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. It doesn't matter how much you have. If a man says, well, if I just had me a nice three-bedroom house which was in good condition, I'd be satisfied. He gets him a nice three-bedroom house, and then he looks across the road, and a man's got a four-bedroom house with a little nicer adornment, and he says, oh, now that's what I want now. Or you go to the, the car lot, and you buy you a car, and you, you're tickled to death with it. It's just what you wanted, and you drive out, and you get to church, and you see someone's got one just a little bit nicer. Now that's what I want. You see, the person who has it all is not going to be satisfied with it. And Solomon will step back and say, I tried it. Notice with me, this is a long reading, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. It's my hope, it's my wish, it's my desire that this is Solomon reflecting at the end of his life on the mistakes that he has made. But I want you to notice the way he describes himself. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how I laid hold on folly till I might see what is good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses, planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted myself all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself pools of water from which the water, the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of the kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the son of men, musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had told. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping after wind. There was no prophet under the sun. Solomon said, if you want to look, I tried everything that would give me pleasure. Everything. And when he got to the end, he said it wasn't worth anything. It didn't do me any good. Having it all was a problem. You see, the Apostle Paul 
when writing to Timothy in chapter 6, talked about some men who would suppose that godliness was a means of gain in verse 5. And he comes to verse 6 and says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith and pierced themselves through in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, Paul is describing what Solomon had pursued and he said, life is not about the attainment of all great things. Solomon had a pitfall here in front of him. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 6, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Solomon, while he was pursuing pleasure, was not pleasing God. He recognized that. Blessings can become a curse if we'll let it. God gave Solomon riches. There's nothing wrong with having riches. But Solomon abused and sought pleasure in areas where he ought not. Now that's going to bring me to the last aspect of this. Solomon knew failure in marriage because he didn't listen to God. I would say that there's two passages in the book of 1 Kings you know about Solomon. You know about chapter 3 and you know about chapter 11. For just a few moments, let's explore 1 Kings chapter 11. Let's look at these first few verses and see how this is a failure in the life of Solomon. But Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor shall they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. And those first three verses before we go on I think are very significant. Foreign women. We're going to observe why all of these foreign women. You've got the daughter of Pharaoh that has already been mentioned back in chapter 3. We're going to observe that. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Hittites, Sidonians. He had intermarried with these. But Solomon loved them. All of them. 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 women with whom he was intimate. Nothing like that was ever envisioned by our God. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. 
not they 1,001. You go on, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his hearts after other gods and his heart was not loyal before or to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart turned away from the Lord God of Israel who appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. God had said, Solomon, don't do this. And Solomon did it anyway. Now, the passage that told Solomon not to do this was found in Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. You shall not make marriages with them, nor they with you. He told them that they would turn away their hearts after other gods. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 26 and 27, looking back as the people there had intermarried among the people of the land, he said, Did not Solomon the king of Israel sin by these things? Yes, Solomon sinned when he married all these pagan women. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm almost through. Why did Solomon marry all these women. God told him not to. You go back to chapter 3, verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. You see, the making of treaties, Solomon looked at this as a way to be able to expand his influence, and he compromised Notice verse, as he goes on the latter part of the verse, then he brought her to the city of David until he finished building his own house. Okay, here's what I'll do. I'll go marry them, but I'll bring them here to Jerusalem. But instead of him converting these foreign women, these foreign women converted him. You know what happens so much when compromise takes place? We think that when we compromise and we give up what is important, that somehow it'll be all right. It won't. Anytime we leave God's law, we failed. And compromise with regards to the truth is always fatal. Marriage is a relationship with the potential for either good or evil. In 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 33, the Apostle Paul talked about a person who was single was careful for the things of the Lord. A person who was married was careful for the things of their husband or of their wife. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, he said, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. Chapter 19, verse 14, Houses and riches are inheritance of fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Chapter 31 and verse 10, 
A virtuous wife, her price is far above rubies. Solomon is not against marriage, but real marriage must be a woman who is from the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil companions, evil company corrupts good habits, good morals. Chapter 13, verse 20 of Proverbs, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companions of fools will be destroyed. Do you see the influence that these women had upon him? The truth is, is that you have to follow the Lord in Luke 14 and verse 26, where he says, regardless of who it is, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life he cannot be my disciple. What God is saying, not that you have to hate your spouse, but that you have to put him first. And Solomon had not done that. Truth is, every one of us are blessed with some level of understanding, ability, knowledge. I may not have the wisdom of Solomon, but sometimes all those blessings can become a potential problem for me as well. But what a person must do is to be judged by how he uses what God has given him. The Bible tells us that God was pleased when Solomon asked for wisdom. God was not pleased. In fact, he was angry when he chose to do otherwise. And you have to remember that God can take away what he gives. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 through 11, God told him in the latter part of verse 11, he said, I will surely tear away the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Solomon, you've lost it. I would add with that, Second John, verse 8, look to yourselves that you do not lose those things that you've worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. This morning, I'd like for you to just think before we sing the invitation song. You already know that it's time for us to sing. If you're not a Christian, you can't please God. You can't be acceptable to him. You can't go to heaven. And I'm not trying to be mean or cruel. But everyone who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. You have to actually look at the things that you've done wrong, your sins, and turn your back on them and say, I'm repenting of those things. Acts 17 verses 30 and 31. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Jesus said, if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And then he taught his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you haven't done that this morning, you need to. The Lord wants you to. Now, for the majority of us here, we are standing before God as we are right now. You look at the early life of Solomon, marked by a man who was trying to do great things for God. But you look at the latter part of his life and his wives and 
family around him had influenced him to do things that were wrong. And Oh, how sad that is. Let me ask you, look at yourself. Is your life sad right now because of the way you're living? I hope that Solomon wised up. At least that's my hope and prayer. Ecclesiastes 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. This is the whole duty of man. Would you come while we stand and sing?